0: Open your Bibles back up, if you would, to First Peter chapter 1. Uh, I hope nobody's going to ha- have any issue if I stand down here. If you are, speak up now, and we'll walk outside and settle it, and I'll come back in. <laughs> Everybody okay with this? So, yeah, 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 I, I figured you would. <laughs> first Peter chapter 1. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. We uh, started off kind of in a rush uh, in the first session, and so... Uh, please allow me to express my appreciation to the elders, uh, especially. It's always an honor to be asked to go speak somewhere. It's it's especially an honor to be asked to return. Uh, you know, sometimes you go somewhere and they're like, we don't want to have this guy again. Uh, I can tell you about a congregation in Alabama where there's a little old lady who did not like the, the, the sermon I did on sacrifices one time, and before the meeting was over, had gone to the elders and said, do not ever ask that young man to come back here and speak again. So uh, when you're asked to return, it's a, it's a complimentary thing, and I appreciate that. Uh, it, I've enjoyed being uh, with this congregation through the years. Uh, some of you might remember, uh, back when this group first started, Uh, years and years and years ago. I was still living in Texarkana, so we're talking 35 years, something like that. Uh, Y'all had a uh, different preacher every evening meeting, and uh, I came up from Texarkana and spoke. And so uh, that's how far back I go with this congregation. And and I've appreciated y'all and the work that y'all have done through the years. So thank you for having me back. Uh, Appreciate those who have uh, asked about my family. My kids are all growing up. My little girl that was here with me, what, 10 years ago or something like that. She's married and living in Florida and expecting our first grandbaby. So uh, uh, time moves quite along. And uh, some of y'all have changed a little bit. Those of us who are bald, we haven't changed at all. And so uh, uh, it's good to be with you. I look forward to the week. I hope that the things that we talk about will be uh, profitable. As I mentioned at the beginning, there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything in six lessons Uh, That Peter talks about. So uh, I've I've, I've picked and chosen some things that I find to be helpful and things that I think are very applicable to the day in which we live. Uh, One of the things about the epistles of Peter is they very much address the culture that we are living in now. Uh, I, I guess maybe that's because we are moving as a culture more toward the culture that Peter was living in when he wrote these things. And so uh, lots of practical stuff here, and and uh, I, I hope it'll be profitable. If you have questions, if there are things that we don't talk about, uh, and you'd like to talk about them, please feel free. I, I'm here at your disposal. Uh, if I can help in any way, uh, please feel free to call on me as we go through the week, uh, and I thank you once again and look forward to the time together. Okay, There are some ironic things in the Scriptures. If you haven't haven't noticed this yet, then uh, you haven't been studying your Bible enough. Uh, God uses irony a good bit to get our attention. Uh, And and so He he tells us, you know, whoever wants to be first, let him be last. Uh, Whoever wants to save his life, He's got to lose his life. Uh, whoever wants to, uh, to be the greatest, you, you have to be the least. And, and that's just kind of a brief overview of some of the things that Jesus says in certain ways that catch our attention because they, they are juxtaposed to one another. Kind of like the idea of suffering and joy that we saw and talked about in the last lesson. There is some degree of that, I think, as Peter moves forward in the things that he writes here in chapter 1. and So we're going to build on the things that we talked about just a little while ago. Uh, and, and, and where Peter starts with this is this idea of being children of God, being, uh, being fathered by God. And, and we come to God wanting that kind of a relationship, or at least wanting initially what it is that God offers to us. And, and Christianity, it seems to me... Uh, attracts a, a, a certain kind of person be, because the relationship that we enjoy with Christ uh, and with God through Christ is a very personal relationship. Uh, the Jews, their relationship with God was uh, a, a, on a national kind of level. They, they become children of God whether they wanted to or not because they were born into the nation. And as you study Jeremiah and some of the the prophets, some of the challenge that God faces with these people is they didn't necessarily think of God in one-on-one terms, the way that we think about God. We come to God wanting a relationship with God, wanting Him to be our Father, wanting to to share eternity with Him. And so it it appeals to people that are very fiercely uh, uh, independent, it seems to me. Uh, and, and you look at most congregations, and that's what you find. You find a lot of fairly independent people. It takes a lot not to live like the world out here. And so Christianity calls that kind of person very often. The challenge, it seems to me, is that as we come into a relationship with God, we also come into a relationship with other people who are coming into a relationship with God. And that's not necessarily why we came into a relationship with God. And so I find it somewhat interesting, and yet at the same time, uh, I guess it's a very natural thing that God has to very often address to Christians how we do with our relationships to one another. And that's kind of where Peter goes as he continues writing to these Christians that are spread across Asia Minor, uh, he, he starts talking about this one another kind of, of, of a concept that we have to appreciate when we become children of God. And so if you look at chapter 1 beginning in verse 22, I think it makes perfect sense that he's going to go to this issue. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord continues forever. Now This is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, it's also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone elect, Precious, he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. I want you to notice, first of all, as we start to talk about this little section here, that as we become children of God, as God uh, begets us again, what that does is not only gives us an inheritance that we put our hope in and has things that grow out of that, but, but this new relationship with God brings some new responsibilities for us. And, and And this is kind of where I started with the introduction a moment ago. In verse 23 of chapter 1, having been born again of not of corruptible but incorruptible seed, what happens when we're born again is that, once again, this relationship with God changes. And I mentioned this in the first lesson. Back in chapter 1, this concept drives Peter's uh, line of reasoning. Uh, God's fathered us in verse 3. In verse uh, 13 or verse 14, we're to be obedient children. In verse uh, 17, we're calling on the Father. And here once again, you've been uh, born of a particular kind of seed. It's not a corruptible seed. It is incorruptible. And and notice what he says as a result of that. Because of that, here's the first obligation that you need to grasp. And that is, you need to love other people who are also born to God this way. Now, that stands to reason, okay? But but here's the challenge, folks. Uh, I like God. I mean, what is there not to like about God? Uh, God is perfect, God, God is immortal. God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is good, God is kind, God is loving, God has given us an inheritance, God keeps us, God does all this stuff for us. It's not hard to love God. I can't say the same for everybody. And that's the challenge. It's interesting to me that God's constantly telling us that we have to love each other. You would think that this would be a very natural thing, but but I'm not sure that it is a natural thing, nor that it is a comfortable thing. Look look over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians right quick. Uh, Y'all are studying 1 Corinthians in in one of the classes right now. What chapter are y'all in? Three, okay. Well, good, you haven't gotten there yet, so I don't have to correct anybody. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I want you to notice uh, wh- what, what Paul says to this group of Christians, and those of you who are in that class know that this is, uh, this is an eclectic group in Corinth. Uh, and, and Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous, this is chapter 6 and verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you are washed, and you're sanctified, and you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Now, we read that passage, and what catches our attention, at least it does to me very often, is God's God's cleansed, cleansed us. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified. That's all wonderful. What ought to catch our attention is... Such were some of you. So I want you to think for a minute what it was like to gather on the Lord's Day with the brethren in Corinth. And you've got your family, you've got your kids with you, you've got your new spouse, your new wife, or your new husband. Uh, You've you've got people that, that, that have become or are becoming your family, at least that's... So, what God's telling us, we're brethren now because we've all had the same father, and we all sit down to worship, and sitting next to your kids is someone who in their previous life was a sexual pervert. Or sitting next to your new pretty wife is someone who never had any qualms about adultery. And, and that's, that's the person they've been. You're a Jew and you've always believed in one God and you've lived a pretty moral life and sitting next to you is a Gentile who's worshipped every God out there and done everything that every God out there would allow Him to do. Now you tell me how comfortable you and I would be in that assembly. Probably not Very. I mean, there's folks at home that aren't guilty in any of those things. I don't want my kids around. You, you, you think about the challenges of becoming one with other sinners because we've become one with God. And we look at ourselves and say, yeah, but I'm changing. I'm doing better. I, I'm I'm trying to be holy. Well, so are they, but we don't always look at it that way. And my point is... This fellowship with God and and becoming brethren with others, that's not always part of the plan for us. That's not what we came to the Lord for. And yet, this is where we are and God offers some instruction to us. Now, I'll tell you what this does for us practically. It it takes away this idea that uh, I'm an island, I'm a maverick, I can go it on my own. I don't need anybody else. I don't need the church. I don't need all these relationships. I don't need the elders watching out for me. I don't need the deacons calling on me. I don't need to be a part of the ladies' group. I don't need to get with the other kids in the congregation. I can take care of me and mine and we'll be just fine. Well, maybe you will be. Except for your disobedience to the command to love one another. And and maybe for some people, this idea of lone wolf is is not appealing. But I think for a lot of Christians, because we are independent-minded people, or we'd be living just like the world is, this presents a bit of a challenge. Does it to you? Are there people in this congregation that you struggle with? Having some kind of relationship, wanting some kind of relationship being involved with them or them being involved with you. Maybe somebody who's, who's lived a really ungodly life and now they've come to the Lord and they're trying. And Yeah, I, I'll help you, but I'm going to help you at an arm's length. I, I heard Shane Scott make an interesting observation this year, and if you've never listened to Shane preach, you need to. He was talking about the, the transgender issues that we're seeing in our country. And how there is starting to become, according to some authorities, a bit of a blowback among people who've gotten caught up in this kind of transgender fad, and and that people are are leaving that lifestyle and trying to go back to where they were when they started, and and the, apparently there's more of that that goes on than than I was aware, and and. And he made this observation. I thought it was very astute. You you know, for those of us that are conservative-minded people who are trying to serve the Lord, who understand what God tells us about creation, about gender roles, about who we are and why we are, we look at all that and think that that's not only crazy, it's just abhorrent. How are we going to feel about people who decide to come out of that and try to straighten their life up. Are we going to be warm and welcoming? Are we going to try to help them get their lives back together? I've seen what happens when you have people who've left homosexuality, or left adulterous relationships, or who've struggled with drugs all their life, and we're not always the most accommodating people, are we? Do you see why Peter would feel compelled to tell these Christians in Asia Minor why God says look I have fathered you you are my children you've been born by the word and so has that person next to you and that person next to you and part of the aim of this as he says in chapter 1 in verse 23 uh, excuse me in 22 is that you've purified your souls in obeying the truth of the spirit Unto sincere love of the brethren, so love one another fervently. Now we could spend a lot of time talking about what it means to love one another fervently, but I suspect everybody here probably understands that already. I would emphasize this. The word is agape. It it, it addresses the idea of putting someone else's needs and wants before my own, not as a matter of how I feel or what my emotions are, but as a, 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 a statement of reason, a statement of conviction. I love not because somebody necessarily is lovely. I love because of who I am. And that's what Jesus meant when He told His apostles, A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 13. So let me just put it this way, and, and, and we'll move along. This is an obligation everybody here has. This is an obligation particularly y'all have to one another as a part of a local congregation. So, do you love one another fervently? Are you putting others' needs before your own? Are you passionate about that? Is this something that you're working at? And, And... I mean, we could spend the next 30 minutes, and I could give you five points on a PowerPoint. as to go about how go how about doing that? But, but this is not hard stuff, folks. Pay attention to the other person. Get to know them. Find out what you can do for them, and do it. And if everybody's doing that, then we won't have the problems that he mentions in First Peter chapter two. Notice in First Peter two and verse one where he talks about, okay, you've been born again by the Word of God. Uh, You've put off all these other things. Your seed is incorruptible. Uh, You're not not like the grass that withers. You're a product of the Word of God. You're going to live forever. Therefore, laying aside, and notice this list of things. What do they all have in common? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. They are all sins that are committed towards other people. Do you notice that? He doesn't talk about lust here. He doesn't talk about pride here. And he talks about those things in other places. But here what he's saying is you love one another, and and what that means is you quit thinking about yourself. If you really want to know how to go about loving someone fervently, then, then you need to understand that the Word of God, this incorruptible seed that's in us, it has to change us. We can't obey the gospel, come out of the water, be the same person that we were, and now, okay, well, yeah, i got to go to church, and, but I don't really know these folks very much. And, you know, some of them are kind of weird. Some of them are really churchy, you know. Uh, and that's, that just doesn't fit my lifestyle. Well, you got to change your lifestyle. And I think that's a problem in local churches. And it's going to continue to be a problem. The worse the world gets and the more people come out of the world who become Christians who are not second or third generation Christians who haven't lived the background I've lived... I'm going to have to figure out how to incorporate them as a part of my family because God tells me to do that, and that begins with selflessness. So, you know, here's this responsibility. Love one another. And as you get to chapter 2, it's interesting that he uses this image once again of newborn babes. We've been fathered by God. And, And here's another responsibility. He says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow. It's growth that God wants. And I want you to appreciate the connection between the two. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 right quick. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is uh, addressing unity at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, And and in doing so, he he addresses the fact that Jesus gave gifts to men. uh, And that these gifts all have a purpose. So if you begin reading with me in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, "...he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Drop down to verse 16, speaking of Christ again, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you appreciate spiritual growth and loving one another go hand in hand? That's why Peter goes from, you need to love one another, and by the way, you need to be like children who are desiring the sincere milk of the Word. You understand the grace of God. You understand what He has done for you. You need to grow in that. Why? What's that going to do for you? It's going to make you less self-absorbed, more concerned about the souls of others, more concerned about the family of God, and the more we grow and the more we mature, as Ephesians 4 tells us, the more we use what we can to help other people be like God. And let me just suggest to you, and and I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, I don't know what y'all talk about here from time to time, but we're talking about what Peter talks about. When we come together like today, it's not simply about offering praise to God. Hebrews chapter 10 says we come together to stir up one another to love and good works. And we need to approach worship that way. And I'd make that suggestion to everybody, myself included. I have to be reminded of this. I go to worship to meet with my brethren to help my brethren be more like God. So, what have you done today to do that? You know, just showing up and participating, yes, you're setting a good example, but what are you doing? to help the person next to you or in front of you or behind you to be like God? How are you using your abilities? Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What are you doing to show your love so that your growth will encourage their growth? You know, Peter Peter didn't cut any corners with us, folks. He goes right to the heart of one of the challenges of Christianity. It's easy to be faithful when I don't have to deal with people. It's people that make it hard. So, please appreciate this new birth brings some new responsibilities. Now, move on to chapter 2. And this, these two kind of go hand in hand, but, I, but, but because, because Peter uses different images, I'm, I'm going to cage this in different terms. Not only are there different responsibilities, but there are different relationships. Okay, which we're already introducing, but I want you to notice the imagery. In verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, he, he says, you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Now, think about our relationship with one another and this loving one another fervently and this growing together so that, so that we're all like Christ. Think about that in terms of how that looks to the world. Because the image is that of a temple. Your stones in the temple. And we recognize that, that uh, Paul, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2 refers to the church as the temple of God, the place where God dwells. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah's day, uh, God dwelt in, uh, in the most holy place. So that was where they understood God to manifest himself. Within the temple in Jerusalem, that was God's place. Now. God dwells in the Fairview Park Church of Christ in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And the Northwest Church of Christ in Beaumont, Texas. And wherever groups of Christians meet together, that group, that's God's dwelling place there. Now, let's think about that for a moment. If we're all stones in a building... What's your building look like here? Uh, Brother Redmond just talked about building a house. What if you only used a brick every other spot? Okay, a brick, a hole, a brick, a hole. And if you've watched a bricklayer work, that's possible. Sometimes they do that as decoration because they overlap them, don't they? And so I've got, you say, hey, there's you saved some cost right there, buddy. <laughs> and let's just say you built that house. First of all, what is anybody who sees that house going to say? Man, that guy must be from Arkansas. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. But but people are going to look at that and say, okay, you know, I can see doing that once in a while, uh, you, you know, uh, as a... Uh, to, to, to make a vent space, okay? Uh, but whoever did that, th- that's messed up. Because you know that it's not well insulated, and you know that it's structurally going to be suspect somewhat if it's missing half the bricks. And we look at that in the real world and go, man, not me. Where are you relative to this congregation, and is your brick... Here? Or is it not? Now, this is interesting imagery because he connects this to Jesus where he says, Look, you, you know, uh, Jesus is the cornerstone to this temple, verse 5. Uh, Jesus is chosen by God and precious to God and God made Him the chief cornerstone and and I'm building on this. Now, Now we can see the connection because we're all family in Jesus Christ and people have rejected Him out there but we understand who He really is and so we are connected to the Lord because in part we are a part of a group. Like it or not... all these one another responsibilities that God gives us in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, uh, you, you know them. I'm not going to take the time to go through them all. I, I simply ask you, are you loving one another? Are you watching for one another? Are you promoting love and good works in one another? Are you helping one another grow? Because if you're not, you're, you're a missing brick in the Lord's house, in this place, and everybody that comes to know anything about this congregation is going to understand that they cannot get people to be a part. In my absence, to the work that God assigns me in a local congregation can become devastating. Now, interestingly enough, he moves from that, if you're there in chapter 2, to yet another kind of relationship. And, and that is that this being part of this temple also makes me, as he says uh, in verse 5, uh, you're a holy priesthood. Now, now here's maybe some incentive. Uh, the, the New Testament writers are prone from time to time to, to change horses in the middle of the stream in regards to imagery. Uh, you read Romans chapter 6 and we start off uh, talking about uh, being uh, dead and, and, and then the next thing you know we're slaves. So which is it? Are we dead or are we slaves? The answer is yes. Okay, and, and that's kind of the way that Peter does. Here, you're stones in a building, but at the same time, there is a relationship that you have with God as a part of this building and you are the priests in the temple. Now what that does is it kind of changes the emphasis... Lest we think this idea of loving my brethren and working hard and showing up at services and being supportive and doing things outside of worship so I can help other people like, uh, be like God, lest we think that that's not such a big deal, let's put it on this level. You're a priest, you belong to God, and your job is to offer sacrifices to Him. You, you know, we might look at go, well, you know, uh, Steve, he, he's going to be okay. You know, he's still going to be faithful whether I do anything for him or not. Okay, what about your relationship with God? You know what the priests did? They mediated, and that's all they did. They were exempted from being counted as part of the army. They weren't given a part of the the promised land when... Uh, Joshua and Eleazar divvied it up. They had cities that belonged to them because they had, had places to live. And they had common grounds so that they could grow food. But their job mainly was to just make sure they were there when it was their term to offer a sacrifice to God. That's who the priests were. And that's who we are. And the sooner we start to see ourselves that way, This is my life. This is the essence of my life. It's not about the degree I get in college. It's not about the job I have. It's not about the house I build. It's not about raising my kids. All those things are peripheral and all those things are important. But all of those things come secondary to whether I'm not getting up every day of my life and offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Which means everything I do has to be done relative and with a view towards God. Everything. You want to know why many are called and few are chosen? Or why the way that leads to destruction is wide and a lot of people are on it, and the way that leads to life is difficult and narrow? I'll tell you exactly why. Because we are selfish people, and the idea of really giving ourselves to God is not very appealing. And it's hard. So I ask you again, do you get up every day and think, what can I do for God today? How can I make a sacrifice for God? How can I be a part of this house where I show the world? And and, and once again, we always want, well, give us a PowerPoint with four or five things we can do. I'll give you a, a passage of Scripture that you can turn to with one thing you can do. Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 1. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And I think that means in view of all He's done for you, and especially in the context, in view of His mercy, it's a reasonable thing that you give yourself back to Him. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if that doesn't give you a laundry list of things to work on today in order to be a sacrifice to God, I'm, I'm not sure how to do it. And, and, and we need to understand, this is the way God's looking at this. This is what God's telling us about our relationship with Him. And it's why so many people don't serve the Lord faithfully. So these relationships that we have are important. We're stones in a building. We're priests in a priesthood. What are we going to do with that? And, that? and that leads me to the last part. Actually, it leads Peter to the last observation in this section. And that is this new birth that gives us a relationship and responsibilities to other people which is not really fun, and this new birth that gives us a, a, an identity where we're a part of, of a house and we belong to God, which is a challenge. Even more so, it changes our relationship to the world. If there's ever been a time in the history of this country where Christians need to take this seriously, it is this time. Uh There's always been a challenge to be like the world around us. Uh, I grew up in the 60s and and early 70s, believe it or not. Some of you go, you know, there were people in the 60s and 70s? Yes, there there were. Uh, I I will tell you, when I was young, uh, especially growing up in West Texas, most people that I knew were religious people. Granted, it's a conservative part of the world, but... Now, they had different convictions about Christianity, uh, all kinds of denominations, but I tell you what most of them had in common. They believed the Bible was the Word of God, and they believed you had to lead moral lives, and you couldn't live like the rest of the world. I mean, that was a common ground. And so it was pretty easy to be a Christian. And I think it's been that way in this country throughout history. You could be faithful to God and not be like everybody else. And people respected that, and it made it fairly easy to do so. In fact, you would find yourself very often in the majority. But it's not the case anymore. It's changed in my lifetime. And it's becoming more and more this way, that if you live in strict accordance with the Word of God, you are going to be different And that's what Peter says. Look, you've made these other changes. You've changed your relationship with God. You're obedient children. You're focused on what's coming after this life, as we talked about in 1 Peter 1. Now you love other people that are Christians. That's your group. That's your family. You're a part of that house. You belong to God. You're a priest to God. And what that means is you're just going to stand out. As he says, beginning in verse 9, you're you're a chosen generation. And he uses that term because he just said Jesus was chosen. He was chosen by God and precious. You're a chosen generation and God's own possession. It is exactly the same thought. God feels about you and me the way that God feels about Jesus. And and more than that, you're you're a priesthood, but, but you're a royal priesthood. You're children of the king and the Priest. You you are a holy nation. You are completely set apart to God, and as a result of that, you're going to have to show the world God. So I ask you: Are you showing the world God? I drove up here yesterday. Uh, I, I I do. I, I, it's hard to talk about this stuff. Uh, it, There's a lot of things about Christianity that don't pose great challenges for me. So in some ways, I do pretty good trying to be faithful to the Lord. My greatest danger is on the day of judgment, God's going to hold me accountable for what happens to me when I get behind the wheel of an automobile. And I've already determined that my argument is, I'm going to find Henry Ford and point to him and say it's his fault. Because when you insulate yourself from other people and they do things you don't like, oh, it becomes very easy to turn from Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde. And I struggle with that. And I get in the truck when I start to go somewhere and I think this regularly, Lord, help me remember that I'm trying to be an example. Help me to be patient with all the idiots that are out there We've got to take this stuff seriously, folks. We can't come to services, sit here patiently, what you are doing, and then walk out the door, maybe stop and shake my hand and say, that hey, was really good, I really needed that, and then just dismiss it like it didn't happen. These are not my instructions, these are God's instructions. When people look at you as you go about your life, day in and day out, do they identify you as a part of the chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation that belonged to God, fathered by God, part of a spiritual... Do they see that in you? And do they see that in me? Am I showing forth the praises? And that goes to how I act when I drive, and it goes to the language I use, and it goes to how I dress, and it goes to... to to where I go and who I spend my time with and who I'm trying to impress, how I raise my children, how I deal with my marriage, how I deal with my parents, how I deal with my friends, how I conduct my business. There is not an aspect of life that this does not touch. I beg you, he says. Why would God have to beg? I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, you don't belong here. You're just passing through. As sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul, have your conduct honorable, whereas even if they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works that they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is not hard to understand. It's just hard to do. And so we're here to try to help each other be more godly. To be more like Christ. To not only worship together and sing together, but to call one another to holiness. To call one another to the standard. To remind ourselves that Jesus didn't just die for us. He also showed us how to live. And to help each other to get ready to walk out the door and be the people God would have us to be as children that He has begotten again. And, and, and so, I want to encourage you. This is my job today. Take this seriously. Understand the responsibilities that you have because you've become a child of God. Even if you didn't see Him coming, you want heaven, you want that hope, you want the unfading incorruptible, undefiled gift that God has in store for you. This is your job. This is my job. Love one another fervently. Grow. Be a part of the spiritual house. Be one of the spiritual priests and offer up sacrifices and do not be like the world. It will not always be an easy life. He's already told us. Even though for a while you may be grieved by all kinds of trials. But the joy is there, and God is keeping His own. His eyes are on His people. He is watching us. He is helping us. He has given us one another. So the question is, are we doing our job being a spiritual house to God? Thanks for your attention. I recognize that those are kind of hard things, and some of you are probably thinking, man, why why do we bring somebody in here just to chew us out? We've just been reading First Peter chapter 1 and 2. Because it's just as hard for me as it is for you. But I want to honor my Father because He is deserving. And may we all do the same. If you're here this morning and you've never become a child of God, uh, He will beget you and give you all that we have talked about today based upon your faith and your obedience. And so we want to offer this time This encouragement. If you need to obey the gospel, do so. For the rest of us, let's encourage one another. Okay? So if we can help you, will you come while we stand and sing?